Well, we're continuing this dive into Acts. Um, We've shared the importance throughout this time as we're talking about the early church and those identifiers. We've talked about how the early church gathered. We talked about how last week the early church went out. Pastor Lauren had a really incredible sermon last week that helped us understand that the early disciples were not just about gathering for worship and prayer, but they were also sent out about serving the world and their ways and their words. This week, we continue with a clear identifier, which is that they are generous. The early church was generous. And I say this as a disclaimer. This is for my own sake because I don't want you guys to switch off. This is not just about giving money to the church. Um, This is about how we can be generous with more than just finances, but generous with our very hearts. This week we heard about um, an early dispute in the church, which should ring a bell because that should help us understand. The church has been arguing with itself for a long time. We're, We're familiar with the church arguing with itself, yes. Thankfully, the early church, though, as we hear in this story, was not arguing about Um, carpet color or worship times or anything like that, what they were arguing about was something of premier importance to them. Do you guys remember what it was? It was about the the widows, about their care of widows, which is paramount to the story of God. God is literally described throughout the Old Testament a few times as the defender, protector of the widows. Why widows? Because these are some of the most marginalized people in their society— Even to this day, if you're widowed, it's like you're alone in the universe. The feelings that are associated with that are astoundingly, they they make you feel so alone, isolating. And in this case today, they don't have these advocates, especially in their time. They would leave their family and betroth themselves to someone else. And if that someone else passed away, who would speak for them? I think it's really powerful, and we heard about it as a dispute between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews, which would basically be about the traditionalists arguing with the non-traditionalists, the Greek new converts to Judaism versus the long-time, we'll call it legacy, right? The legacy of a family being connected to this. And what they were seeing was this ministry, especially the Hellenistic Jews, the Greeks were saying, This ministry is failing. It's failing to do its job. It's failing to help in a really fundamental aspect of our lives as a people together. You're not helping the people that we're supposed to help. Not as we should. Which isn't a new idea. Have you guys heard this before? I'm sure you've heard what about the church caring about this group of people but not about this group of people. There's that hypocrisy conversation. Well, how can you care for them and not care for these? Fair, fair, a good question. I've seen bumper stickers, you know, that say, we shouldn't care for these people until we care for these people. Have you seen these bumper stickers? Right. Fair, I understand. But it also comes from a mindset that I argue now and will continue to argue, which is a mentality that says it's a zero-sum game. A mentality of scarcity, a mindset that there is only so much and you can't help here until you've helped this. So they get nothing until this happens. And I don't think that really lines up with who Jesus is. I don't think it lines up with this mentality of God's abundance that we see. 
Paul talked about it in Corinthians. All of these gifts, enormous gifts that we overflow. We have sayings, right, that God's cup overflows. We talk, there are parables about these seeds that never run out. But sometimes we have that mentality. There's only so much. I'm a big supporter of uh, ministry in Haiti, specifically HTF. That was a big formative part of my life. And I've heard really good Good, faithful people say, you know, I'm not into that. I'd rather help people locally. That's fair. But I always challenge, how do we really care for the local then? If that's what your heart's telling you, then do that. How do we move beyond this spirit of scarcity to a spirit of abundance? Which is a generosity of spirit. I love this early church recognizing through, in a generous spirit that this critique that was leveled against them didn't just shut them down. The early church heard the needs of the world, heard the needs of their brothers and sisters, and said, this is a hole. This is a hole in our ministry. And it's a hole that's worthy of patching. They adjusted then. It says they adjusted their ministry. They called leaders. They made room. They were generous in their understanding of their mission. And they called people together. This is what we should do. Have you ever had um, a situation where somebody provided for you when there was an obvious need? I think of an example of somebody who had that generosity. Um, it's now January. It's the anniversary of the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. And um, I was there two days before the earthquake. And then the earthquake happened. And I was in Jacmel when the earthquake happened. And the buildings made the racket that they make when they're being violently shaken. Buildings fell down. I heard gunfire from the prison that collapsed. Prisoners were escaping. So it was, it was a really challenging time. And I remember we were with one of our Haitian partners at the time, Maya. Um, Maya will actually be here in Lent. So you'll have a chance to meet this person that I refer to now as Saint Maya. Um, and Maya was Haitian and grew up there. And by the end of the day, we were in a UN refugee camp after the earthquake because in this airfield, nothing could fall on you, but you felt all the aftershocks. Um, and all that community was there, and Maya was translating, helping us find food, um, helping us find water. Um, and every time there was an aftershock, you could see not just the fear that Maya had, but also not just for his own well-being, but you would see him bring out his phone. He was trying to contact his family who was in Port-au-Prince. So where he was, he was separated from them by a mountain. Maya could absolutely walk there. Maya is resourceful. He is incredible as a person and could walk there to look after his family, to find out if they're okay. He was scared. And I will say as our group, we said, Maya, go. Just go. He was translating some, but really, I'll say this, the privilege of being a, one of the only like 12 white people in Jacques Mel, the UN was keeping a close eye to make sure nothing happened, that there would be any bad press of these white, lovely folks getting hurt in Haiti. We said, go, go care for your family. You can go see, because he was scared. He didn't know. The phone lines were down. There was no way to get in contact with them, and he was terrified, and we said, leave. You have permission. Go, Maya. And Maya said, no. 
Because Maya embodied the sort of understanding. He said, you're the stranger. You don't speak Haitian Creole. You, can't, you don't know where things are. This is a foreign land for so many of you. I'm called here. I have to help you. It doesn't matter that he has this realistic ache to go home. It's not like he loved us more than he loved his family. It's not like we had a longer history. He had literally met us only a few days before. But he recognized through a generosity of spirit, this faith in him, that his call was to the people, the strangers in their midst. I'm moved by that generosity still. Because according to Maya, if my family is in need, they have people there, they can speak the language. If they are, God forbid, gone, God has them. My call right now is to you. That's what I said, St. Maya. He's unbelievable, and you'll get a chance to meet him. He's coming here in, uh, in Lent. I am forever changed by that experience. And I am regularly asking myself, how can I too have a generosity and understanding of the other's need before my own? Because the early disciples, the same thing, their, their strength was in evangelism, in proclaiming this good news. They saw Jesus in person. They imitated the ways they saw Jesus. They're like, this is our priority. And when someone said, hey, just so you know, you're, not, you're missing the mark here. They didn't go, well, that's not important. The priority is this. They said, with a generosity of spirit, you're right. We don't have the time to wait on tables. We can't be all things to all people. You're right. This is actually a priority. Because this isn't my church. Jesus didn't just proclaim and teach. Jesus washed feet. Jesus healed. Jesus fed. Jesus helped. Jesus advocated for the widow. Jesus advocated for the poor. I can't neglect. This, because that's part of our identity. It required a generosity of understanding and spirit that said, I'm going to modify this. Just as Maya had to change his plans. I'm sure all of his body was saying, it's time to go. But he modified it because he knew there was a mission bigger than him that he was a part of. His identity was not just his own. He was connected to Jesus. Those bracelets, what would Jesus do? He was confronted with a hard question. Care for my neighbor? There's no question. Care for my neighbor. I have to. It's a generosity. It's a perspective that this isn't about him. I wonder if we have the same thing on our hearts. I know at times I don't. My needs come first. I'm sure you too have had those needs come first. But to speak for the voiceless, to speak for the people that need to be spoken for is an important, it's central task to being a disciple of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we may not have this grand demonstrative story of an earthquake in Maya, but I'm sure you have stories of somebody 
modeling that sort of generosity towards you. How that changed you. The challenge for us is to face all situations and ask, how does my character reflect that same spirit of generosity that God's love is beyond our understanding, beyond measure? When our coworkers are, let's just say it, insufferable at times, right? It happens. It happens. How do we model a spirit of generosity that says, you know what? That's another person, a fellow traveler. When our boss is unreasonable, it can seem, how do we go, this is another person. How can I have a generosity of spirit? How can I be a person of peace? How can we refrain from seeing somebody on the side of the road with one of those signs and instead of thinking about all the fibs or mistakes that could have led them here, instead see a fellow person who needs a hand? How can we modify our ways to serve the person in our midst? Because the early church was defined by this character. The early church didn't say, We can't be everything, so we're just going to do this. We're not just about teaching. We couldn't just be about proclamation. Brothers and sisters, I know Good Shepherd has a care for the strangers. If I were to say, honestly, the biggest strength of this congregation, the biggest passion is service. When we put out a need, Super Bowl of Caring, Needs Food Pantry, Taft Elementary, people respond with love and care for their neighbors. I love that. But we're encouraged to grow beyond ministries, beyond church walls, beyond church programs, schedules, ministries, and we are called to make this our very way of being. Something we do all the time. Something that defines us each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.